Let's cross to the United States, where Celeste Katzmaston is with us. Celeste, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, by the way, Warren from Tallarook says, My first job was standing by the post office door with my tongue out uh, for people to wet their stamps. <laughs> what, a, what a great job. I did not know that was a job. Oh, it's, it's big in Australia. A lot of people's first job is... Uh, putting their tongue out at the post office. I've learned something today. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Okay. Now, I mean, how do you feel? I mean, stamps used to be such an important part of the world, didn't they? And now they're not. You know, everyone would eagerly await the next stamp release. What's it going to be? Blah, blah, blah. We've got, you know, magazines that come out four times a year that tell you what the latest stamps are. But stamps, they're just not that central part of society as they once were, are they? No, and I used to love them. I was a, a big uh, letter writer, hand letter writer, and I had pen pals and I wrote to my grandparents, even though they didn't live that far away, but I would send them letters and cards and picking out stamps and being in the post office and looking at the display was always something I really enjoyed. And uh, I would get excited about certain issues. And, uh, you know, I remember, I think the first stamps I probably ever used were maybe like 18 or 20 cents and now they're something like over 50 cents for sure so uh times have changed you know um at the end of the 20th century the u.s postal service put out a set of 10 stamps that defined the decade or at least uh it was 10 stamps for the 1900s 10 stamps for the 1910s 20s like of all things that kind of define that decade it, they are the most beautiful stamps a fantastic stamp series so i say more of interesting stamps like that don't you i agree i totally agree i mean if you think about the the detail the miniaturization of the artwork and the colors and just i don't know it's sort of uh, it was a little a little piece of art or a little piece of history that you could hold in your hand and that you could share with someone else. Exactly right. Do you think we'll be as nostalgic about social media when it has had its day? No, no, we will not. We will probably. I think we will. We will get through this dark period in our history together. Somehow, we'll we'll muddle through, and hopefully, there will be some better alternative or some sort of at least more civil alternative on the on the other side of this uh, dark tunnel. Um, do you think that Twitter? Do you think that if that kind of, I mean, because I don't know whether people are particularly nostalgic about MySpace, for example. They just moved on to Facebook. Some people still use MySpace, fair enough. But do you think if Twitter kind of goes by the board, as so many people are saying or hoping that it will, do you think people will be nostalgic for Twitter? I think there are certain things about Twitter that are very fun and they're very immediate and they're very interactive, whether you're out there tweeting all the time and sharing things about your life or just sort of sitting back and consuming, maybe getting some ideas from, you know, from people that you don't know about things that you hadn't seen or wouldn't otherwise have seen. And that, that part of it's kind of interesting. I mean, there are certain accounts that I follow that I genuinely enjoy. Um, I have to be honest with you, a lot of them have to do with pets and animals um but also use it as a sort of a news gathering device as a reporter it's been uh, very helpful for finding people experts who or people who have had certain experiences but 
I mean, I remember Twitter certainly has evolved. I remember when it first came out, people were constantly giving these updates, sort of like, I'm standing here yeah. getting a venti coffee with sugar and extra cream. And it's like, why are you telling me this? But then it evolved for people to share more ideas rather than instantaneous updates about what they were doing or where they were or something like that. So maybe going down the line, there'll be some new iteration of what people use it for and how useful that is to uh, people who are consuming it. Yeah, I think back to those days, you're right, you know, it was what was Ashton Kutcher having for breakfast? And a lot of people kind of dismissed Twitter as being full of that sort of insubstantial stuff. But then he did evolve. Um, a legendary Australian journalist who's been a guest on this program on more than one occasion claimed that it was the greatest development since the printing press, which is an interesting um, look at it. But when you think that suddenly you can be somewhere and tweet something that everybody, well, not everybody in the world, but as many people who follow you, or then, then it gets retweeted and picked up by other news, you know, everyone can know about it instantly. And that was an incredible breakthrough, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the sort of the network, the, the connectivity, I don't know if it, if it proves the sort of six degrees of separation uh, theory or argument, but I mean, if you look at it, certainly in terms of like political activity, of, of human rights activity, of, of the immediacy of being able to share something that's happening or to connect people that would otherwise have absolutely no way to find each other or to know whether other people were seeing or thinking or feeling the same things or wanted to take some sort of action uh, collectively, uh, certainly uh, absolutely uh, vital to a lot of the developments that we've seen. Uh, you know, on the other hand, it has been used as a platform for hatred, for division, for disinformation, misinformation. It, it certainly has its drawbacks. So mm. for, uh, you know, I, I think it does, if it does prove one theory, it's sort of for every action, there's an equal yeah. and opposite reaction. But can you blame Twitter for that? Because, you know, people could blame the printing press for printing lies and things like that. Right, right. I mean, is it the question is, is it a publisher? And that that yes. sort of speaks to all the legal arguments or legislative arguments. Is it a publisher or is it merely a platform that people use to communicate? How much control and decision making and limitations do they set on mm. what goes out? Yeah, good point. And then one of the reasons we are talking about this course is because Facebook or their parent company has launched today their possible rival for Twitter, which is called Threads. Now, it's not quite as catchy. It's a good name. I don't dispute that. But, you know, you can't thread something. You tweet something. I read it on Twitter. I read it on Threads. I, I don't think the name is as good, even though I'm sure they workshopped it and focus grouped it, you know, um, as much as they possibly could. But given that it's kind of linked to Instagram, which has 2 billion followers, Twitter only has 300 and something million, uh, you know, is there some chance that maybe it will crush Twitter? What do you think? I, you know, I'm not sure. I'm just, I just signed up for it and, um, it is connected as you say to Instagram. So some of my early follow followers and followings are, um, through Instagram people I know on Instagram and, uh, I'm not sure it's at this moment officially lives up to this sort of 
quote unquote Twitter killer reputation that some people want it to have. But look, it's good to have an alternative. And there have been a bunch of different alternatives, uh, Mastodon, Blue Sky, uh, some of these other things. It doesn't have some of the um, useful functions that we like in Twitter, that I like in Twitter and have been using. Um, it doesn't have sort of a hashtag mechanism yet. Um, it's a little bit harder to follow people, but you know, the thing just launched a few yeah, hours sure. ago. And it'll be interesting to see who migrates. Like a lot of people have been complaining that since Elon Musk took over Twitter, that it's it's gone sort of further to the right, that there's less control of um, of that kind of content. Will people uh, naturally sort of self-segregate by, uh, you know, by identity or by political beliefs? And some people will use threads and some people will stay on Twitter. And then there are, of course, people who go on uh, Trump's platform, Truth Social, uh, some people who will get disgusted with signing up for one more social media platform and give it up entirely. I mean, a lot of things could happen. It's very, very early days, literally mm. the first day. I think they had actually had accelerated the launch because so many people were interested in it, but uh, I'm still fiddling around. Yeah. Was wants to know, has it pre-banned Donald Trump yet? So has he been banned from Threads? Actually, I think he has not. I think he was at some point banned from meta platforms, which is, you know, the parent company of Facebook, Instagram, and so on. But I do not believe he is sort of auto banned. He was banned, but then he was, I think after two year period, he was reinstated. Um, he's also been reinstated to Twitter, as we all know. But as far as I know, I haven't checked today, but I think he has been sticking to his uh, his yeah. personal platform that that he founded and has not tweeting yeah i think i mean remember do you remember periscope and that was oh i loved periscope yeah because that it. was a video platform really more than you know i know you can put videos on twitter and of course people do but periscope was kind of was the next step in the revolution and it never really took off did it which I'm so sorry about because I was actually, uh, you know, humble brag. I was actually a super user wow. of Periscope and I used to get thousands and thousands of people watching these broadcasts. I mean, it wasn't me sort of like cooking dinner. It was me at political events. Um, and people would tune in in wild numbers to these live broadcasts, mm. um, which would basically be me showing something and doing some audio commentary over it or interspersing audio commentary with just broadcast. And it was a great platform. It also used a lot less battery power on my phone, frankly, than um, uh, Facebook Live, which was the the other um, live video. Now you can do uh, Twitter live broadcasts, but I I was a huge fan of Periscope, and I I do miss mm. it because yeah, there was concern I think at the time, and it was just this basically live streaming platform that people could you know live stream something that they didn't have the rights to, you know, sporting events or political rallies or whatever. And that that was a concern. I don't know that it ever happened to any great extent so that the people who own the rights, you know, could stop them. But, yeah, anyway, it, it I don't know. Does it still run? Is it still available? I don't I don't think it's still available, although recently uh, Elon Musk did have a Periscope test that he broadcast and it was very, very slow and sort of... Uh, pixelated and janky and people were making jokes about 8-bit Elon and he was saying hey we should bring this back this mm, is kind of okay. cool and it was kind of cool I would like it to come back 
All right. Shazu says, instead of threads, they could have called it squark, bark, follow, tell, or stellar, or think. Hmm. Okay. Um, that's just that's Shazu's view. Thank you very much. Uh, and just one other text, and this is from our genius bobsled. Bobsled about stamps says, is the last professional stamp licker the sole saliva? <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Bobsled. Uh, all right. It, oh, well, Peter in Caloundra says, in Queensland post offices, they had round sponges in glass bowls that you could moisten a stamp. I think that was in every sta- post office in Australia, Peter, not just in Queensland and possibly around the world. For those people who didn't want to lick their stamps. Um, Celeste, should we be concerned that cocaine was found at the White House? Well, it depends on how you want to be concerned. I mean, is it great that there are illegal drugs lying around uh, semi-public or public accessible areas of the White House? Probably not. Um, sh- am I concerned that you know they're going to make an Animal House sequel or or something <laughs> or a, a less than zero sequel in the West Wing? Not keeping me up at night just yet. I've been to the White House. Uh, that didn't search, this is pre nine eleven, but you know that didn't search you you know to any great extent. I mean, is the is the implication that a visitor brought it in or somebody working at the White House was using it or dropped it or how much was it? Was it a bag? Was it a line? What was it? It was a it was a, a small amount, I guess, like a a small packet or something like that, and it was in an area that is semi-accessible to the public. I mean, as you know, obviously you cannot just stroll into the West Wing and, uh, you know, knock on the Oval Office door and see what's what's cooking in there. But there are tours. There are lots of tours and people are allowed to peep into the Oval, go into the West Wing. There's the, the Brady Briefing Room, which is where uh, reporters, and I've been in there, reporters get um, the daily press briefing and so on. But this was not sort of in an intimate, entirely close to the public area of the White House. This is a place where people would um, come in for their uh, guided tours. And there is an area in there as well where people have to uh, give up their phones and put them in small boxes during the tour. I guess they don't want people sort of just wandering around filming or photographing everything. But I think the short answer is that they've said that it's probably going to be really hard, if not impossible, to figure out whose it was, whose stash it was, although they are reviewing visitor logs and security footage. Surely, they mean, this would have CCTV in every place in the White House. I don't know whether it's in the Oval Office, but no one's suggesting that cocaine was there. But surely they'd be able to, you know, go back and look at all the footage of this, the area where they found this, surely. Right. I mean, it's again, I mean, I'm not the investigator on the case, Come but I mean, it sounds yes. like potentially. Put your hand up to be the special prosecutor here. <laughs> I mean, it sounds to me like it's not with outside the realm of possibility that this was like a small little baggie that fell out of somebody's pocket when they were on a tour, or maybe they I mean, I don't know who's who takes cocaine to the White House if they're on a tour. I mean, aren't you are going to get frisked, surely? I mean, anyway, that seems very odd to me. Must have been a reporter, yeah. I reckon. <laughs> I don't know. In any event, I mean, they can look at the security footage, but I mean, this is not like 
you know, a key of cocaine. This is not like a Miami Vice episode where they're like, you know, stacking them up like bricks. I think this was a relatively small scale thing. Could it have been caught on camera? I mean, maybe so, but uh, I I don't think this was a particularly splashy event. Is it great that there are illicit drugs in the White House? Probably not great, but, um, you know, the the mystery uh, endures for the moment. All right. Now, uh, Celeste Katzmaster, I guess, in the US. You may not know this, but, you know, Australia, Sydney in particular, or New Year's Eve is the fireworks capital of the world. We do it better than anywhere else. But there has been an anti-fireworks feeling building up over the last decade or so. And now, and they were saying, oh, let's have a laser show and all this sort of stuff. Well, now I think we've got the replacement for uh, fireworks, and that is these drone shows. Now, there have been a few in Australia, not that many, but a few, uh, but they are getting you know traction all over the world, and in particular in the uh, United States, especially Fourth of July weekend, or you know over the last couple of days. I've seen some of the footage. I don't think I have seen one of these drone shows in person, but I have seen some footage. Actually, my husband showed me some footage the other day, and it was astonishing. Astounding! It was yes. it was sort of like a a dragon, a long serpentine dragon doing all sorts of maneuvers, and it was brightly lit, and it was very detailed, and it was perfectly synchronized. I mean, it looked really, really cool. So the fact that it looked really cool, coupled with the fact that as a reporter, I have spent way too many holidays writing about people who got horrifically injured by exploding stuff, you know, blowing off their hands, getting burns, little kids getting injured. Um, When I was working in Washington one time, I, I, there was an incident where somebody was stopped at a traffic light and somebody threw a lit, firecracker like uh, an m80 or whatever you call it into their car window just it's bad 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 there are a lot of places that have outlawed fireworks that you can't even buy them and then people cross state lines and so on but so there are lots of reasons you know environmental reasons there are lots of reasons to want to sort of dampen the enthusiasm for fireworks but there are some places that have tried it and brought it back because people miss the noise Hmm. well my dog is not one of them dogs don't miss the noise i was just about to say dogs you know who hear you know, four times louder than humans, they hate it, and it's awful for them. But, you know, I mean, they're never going to disappear. They've been around for thousands of years, that's for sure. But I think this drone show, and I think the first time the world really saw a lot of it was at, was at the Olympic Games opening ceremony a couple of years ago where they had mm. an amazing drone show. And I think people are going at these large events. They are now clamoring, we want more drone shows. So, you know. We shall see what happens. And finally, oh dear, what happened to this poor woman in your neck of the woods in Massachusetts? She was missing for a week. Where was she? Yeah, she was stuck in the mud in a state park. She got, she she was uh, out there in, I mean, it's not like the total wilderness, but it's a place where people are hiking, but it's sort of rough terrain, marshy terrain. And she got bogged down somehow and she was stuck there for like three days, which is terrifying. And then finally, some people heard her screaming for help. They couldn't even get to her. They had to have a special sort of rescue operation, but Apparently now she's okay. Was she in a car or was she like up to a waist in the mud or what happened? 
Yeah, she was she was walking, I think, from, oh. from what I understand. She was she was hiking. She didn't have a, a phone with her. And she was somebody uh, again, from what I uh, what I understand was somebody who was familiar with these sort of wildlife areas or uh, state park areas around here. This is a little further um, outside of Boston. But yeah, I mean, she was alone, no way to communicate. And fortunately, at least some people got close enough to hear her screaming for help. But if, oh. if, if that hadn't happened, uh, this would be a, a very different ending to that story. I mean, that's everyone's nightmare if they go hiking in the bush, surely. I mean, but she did not have a mobile phone with her or was that in the mud as well? Right. I think she did not have a phone with her. And so that was an issue. So, of course, this underscores, uh, you know, try to have some means of communication, make sure somebody knows where you are, be aware of your surroundings, have a, a backup plan. I don't know if, you know, maybe carry water or some food or something. I mean, obviously, don't go someplace where you're going to get stuck. But if you do... Um, you know, try to take at least some precautions. So, so this could have ended horribly, horribly for for her and her family. She could have fired off a, you know, a what do you call those things? They fire off like a flare, flare, flare gun. Yeah, right, right. I mean, but I mean, if you're just out for a little, uh, you know, you have a little day pack with you, or you're just out for a stroll, or say you're walking your dog and your dog runs off and yeah, you get into a situation. Yeah. I think sometimes these things happen. Um, yes. They happen when you're not really expecting. Exactly, and you know, maybe you're distracted or whatever. But, you know, it could be worse. I mean, remember that story of I think Aaron Ralston with his name who his arm was trapped. He had to hack off his own arm in order to escape from the boulder. You know, that, was, that is terrible. And, you know, when you're stuck in the mud, I mean, holy hell, you think, well, you know, if you're there for three days... Wow. Well, at some point you've got to give up screaming, don't you? I don't know. That, uh, I think the whole story is an amazing one, and I hope she's going to be all right. Me anyway. too. All right, Celeste, thank you very much for that, as always. We'll talk to you again sometime next week. Oh, no, in two weeks' oh. time. Thanks. <laughs> two weeks. Thanks, Always Celeste. a pleasure. Thanks very much, Celeste Katzmarston in the United States.